Hi, welcome back to The Horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. And welcome back to March Madness. <laughs> so for those of you who've been listening to us for a while, and by a while it means at least a year, <laughs> we are bringing back our March Madness competition where essentially we pit our baddest final girls and our most vicious villains up against each other and who would win in a street fight. Mm-hmm. There are rules. There are rules. Being that this is the second year, the first rule is there are no repeats. So even though we covered Halloween 2018, Orphan First Kill, and the remake of Suspiria, none of these characters can come back. And the primary reason for that is we are afraid of how far Esther will travel. (laughs) Maybe we'll do a championship round next year. Maybe we will, because as we know, Esther was our reigning champ of Villains March Madness last year, completely to our dismay. (laughs) We did not want her to make it as far as she did, and she would kill the competition again this year. She's too powerful. Also, idea inspiration comes from the Dead Meat podcast. Chelsea and James have done this a couple of times. They are my favorite horror podcast, my favorite horror content creators. They do so many fun games on their podcast channel. Chelsea just is so creative in some of the shit that she comes up with. So all idea inspiration is to them. Also, not everybody that we have covered since we've done March Madness last time will be included. Because we have been so good at being so consistent (laughs) this past year, this March Madness covers all the way from episode 34, Hereditary, to episode 69, which is Candyman. That's amazing. That's a 35-episode span of characters that we had to find a way to organize, and the truth is not everyone made the cut. We want to keep this condensed to two episodes, the first being our final girls, the second being villains. And I think we're going to do it for you. I think you guys are going to sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hopefully we don't upset you too much. But then again, would it be a good game if there wasn't a little bit of drama? Exactly. Listen, (laughs) we don't make the rules. We just made the game and all of the rules. The last thing is I know there might be some horror purists out there being like, excuse me, not all of these people are final girls and not all of these people are villains because everybody is super complex. And while it is true that we are pulling the language of final girls and villains from the slasher subgenre of horror, and also being that a lot of the movies we've covered do not have a straightforward hero or villain We did our best to just categorize these folks in the divisions in which they'll present themselves in a way that makes the most sense. It's just for the sake of the game, y'all. Don't read too much into it. I'm so excited. Are you ready to get started? We are starting out with Final Girls, and this was Elise's. (laughs) Yes, so we went through and picked what characters we thought made the cut, and then Shay and I went into our own separate corners to figure out how the hell we were going to organize all these names. So I made the brackets for Final Girls, and we are starting out with classic conventional mothers. We have so many mommies in the Final Girl division. Originally, it was just starting out as mommies. But then I was like, there are... There's too many. (laughs) There are so many. So don't worry, you'll see what the next category is. But first, we're starting with conventional mothers. Our first lineup, we have Annie from Hereditary against Kathy from the 2005 Amityville Horror remake. Okay, wow. So let's give a refresher on some of these characters. So Annie, her mom died. She's really good at monologues. She's really good at monologues. She's really pissed off. She is. She has a demon inside of her for the last (laughs) half hour of the movie. And she doesn't make it till the end. She does not. Her head rolls. Oof. 
She decapitates herself and floats into a treehouse to be a part of a cult ceremony. Yeah. Now, Kathy, what does Kathy do? Well, she deals with her husband, who is becoming increasingly more and more possessed. Possessed Ryan Reynolds. But she does eventually get her and the kids to safety, and I think at one point it yields a gun. But don't forget that she does fall into the water and almost get her hair caught in a propeller. She does do that. And she doesn't shoot her husband, who at this point has provided more than enough evidence. He deserved that. Yeah. Well, she loves him. She's trying to keep her family together. She is trying to keep her family together. And you're right. She did almost lose herself in the underwater struggle against no one. She just fell in, right? Like no one knocked her into the water. She just slipped and fell into the water. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know either. And then, like, I would have left that husband at shore a million and one times, but she dragged his dumbass body into the propeller boat, and then the demon left him once he got out of a 50-yard vicinity of Amityville House. It's kind of badass. Well, think about them in a street fight. If we're thinking, like, these two women meet on the street to fight. See, I think Annie has been hardened by the loss of Charlie. Mm. She is pissed, experiencing a lot of grief, and she is like feminine rage to Mm -hmm. me. Like she wants to know the truth, especially when she's possessed. We see her banging her head on that ceiling, trying to get Mm -hmm. into the attic when she's going after Alex. Whereas Kathy, I feel like, is in the submissive position the majority of the time, and she did not solve the problem herself. Even though she does live and Annie doesn't live, I feel like possessed Annie would mop the floor with Kathy. Yeah, there's something about Annie to me that just feels more weathered, more experienced, more angry. Kathy is, you know, despite being a mother and having endured the loss of her first husband as well, there's something about her that just feels a little bit more naive. I'm going to say Annie. Annie's it. I feel good. I think Kathy can be Annie in a couple years. I do. Next, we have Amelia from Babadook against Lorraine from The Conjuring. Okay, so Lorraine Warren, Amelia from the Babadook. Wow, okay. So they're both experienced in fighting supernatural (laughs) demons. Yes. You got Amelia, who is also hardened by grief. She lost her husband, and she has her nightmare of a son, Samuel, (laughs) that she is dealing with day in and day out, not to mention this haunted book that has found itself on his bookshelf. And then you have Lorraine, who is answering the call of the Perrin family to exercise Bathsheba out of the house. So here's where I think we need to think about their weapons. Yes. They have some supernatural abilities. Fine. Lorraine has Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) As the Lord himself. And I think Amelia has willpower. She does have willpower because she eventually is able to puke the Babadook up, right? Because of her love for her son and everything. We see Lorraine scurrying around inside the walls for a while. Yeah. But if I'm picturing these two on the street, like I'm picturing Amelia being like, you're going down. And Lorraine, unless she's fighting a demon, I don't know if what she has in her toolbox is going to really work. No, I feel like Lorraine would be clutching her pearls because she's a good Christian (laughs) woman. Yes. Where I think Amelia does have the grit. Especially if she's got, like, Babadook strength. I agree. To throw down. I agree. I'm happy giving it to Amelia. Perfect. All right, so that means when we return to the conventional mother's division, we're going to be facing Annie against Amelia. Moving on. Moving right along. Our next division. This is the non-conventional mother's (laughs) division. (laughs) This is how we're breaking up all of the mother energy. Okay, so we are starting with Gemma from Megan against Iris from Would You Rather. 
So we have Gemma, the technology wizard, who has become the unofficial guardian of her niece, Katie. And then you have Iris, who has become the unofficial guardian of her brother, Rally. And Rally is sick, and they are both led with circumstances to where they have to do what they can to protect their person. Now, all of Gemma's problems happen to herself. (laughs) All of her issues are the product of her own creation, literally. She made Megan as a way to take parental responsibilities off of herself. It's interesting being that her weapon could be Megan in this fight. (laughs) Like, is she going to deploy Megan? At least Bruce, the robot she made in college. Bruce too. But then you have Iris, who is just kind of willing to sit through saw traps in the hopes of getting money. But when we see her in like hand-to-hand combat, there isn't much of that. No. It's honestly a strategic game for her. I would say if we're playing chess, Iris has it. But if we're playing checkers, Gemma has it. Ooh, I think that's such a good point. Because I think Iris's power does come from that ability to win over the trust of her opponents. That's how she ends up being victorious. But yeah, Gemma's got more grit. And we see her stab Megan to death at the end. And she does have Bruce. I think she's just smarter than Iris is. I feel like Iris's strength comes from being able to withstand any situation, but I feel like Gemma knows to bring a robot to a gunfight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because the robot probably has a bunch of built-in guns, plus like a flamethrower and other fun features as well. We're sorry, Brittany Snow. You know I love you. (laughs) Bye. Gemma's got you. (laughs) Okay. The next pairing we see is Mother from Mother... Against Helen from Candyman. This non-conventional mother division is really tough. Yeah, because mother is a mother in the sense that she's a mother. Of nature. Of nature. Of Jesus. Of (laughs) Jesus' baby. But then Helen is kind of the unconventional mother of baby Anthony for a while. Which could also be the baby that symbolizes Candyman's original lover's baby. Like, she's the mother of this new legend that comes from her death, right? So here she is, up against Mother. It's interesting, though, because they both die by fire. That is really interesting. Because Mother sets the house on fire after him and all of his followers are destroying it. And then Helen dies saving baby Anthony. That is so amazing. Like, their weapons are self-sacrifice. Ouch. (laughs) My heart. (laughs) And it's also a little bit of nature versus nurture because you see mother being this biblical figure, this mother nature, this all-encompassing everything. So it's almost like you're going to fight God. But at the same time, Helen is this intellectual. She is by the book. She's facts. She's research. She's quantitative analysis. So what wins in that regard? Because I feel as though if we're looking at our temperaments, though, mother is very submissive and Helen is very aggressive. But who is mother submissive to? It's to him. And she's overpowered by like numbers. But even if we're talking about man and woman, that threat started small and she did not stand up for herself whatsoever. So my thing is if Helen like whispered to mother about the power of Candyman, she would just be in love with Candyman Mm. and let it happen. You know what I mean? Where I feel Mm. as though, although Helen is entranced in the same way, she still stabs him at the end. Like she still saves baby Anthony. She doesn't let herself get whisked away by all the romance of the situation. That is a good point. I don't know. What do you think? 
That's really, really compelling. Originally, you know, I was looking at Mother versus Helen, like, I don't know, Mother encompasses the power of nature. But at the same time, that really isn't the way the movie depicts her. Mm -mm. She's depicted very much as a regular woman without any of those supernatural powers, except when she is able to finally bring it all down in flames. That is a really good point. She is more submissive and she is kind of wrapped up in this idea of love companionship. And Helen, even though she still sacrifices herself, does have that moment at the end where she is able to overcome that and I think show that extra level of grit. Helen it is. Okay, Helen. Oh, mother. All right, I'm okay with that. I think that's good. You're a pretty stone to sit on a mantle, mother. You'll be made again and again. Oh, I will sit you on my mantle, mother. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so up next, we are in the smells like teen spirit category. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So here we're going to get just a bunch of crazy teen action with people who should be spending more time in school. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) They should. So up first, we have Kim (laughs) from Prom Night. A.K.A. Jamie Lee Flirty. Yes, Jamie Lee Flirty. (laughs) Jamie Lee Curdy. Jamie Lee Curdy. Up against Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street. Now it's interesting because when I envision Kim, I see Jamie Lee Curtis and I think of Laurie Strode, right? Well, she didn't make it very far last year either. No, she really didn't. Jill beat her last year. Jill beat her. Biggest upset of the March Madness division for sure. Now look, if this was a dance battle... You're so right. I mean, Kim, she might be favorited to take the whole thing. If it was a dance battle. But it's not. It's a street fight. I feel as though Nancy can do more sleep deprived than Kim did that entire movie. It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. It's got to be Nancy. It's got to be Nancy. Oh, man. Kim, keep dancing. Keep dancing. (laughs) Sorry about your sister. All right. Then we have Julie from I Know What You Did Last Summer. (laughs) Up against Marin from Bones and All. This is like such different skill sets here. I agree. Julie is not going to stand down. That's for sure. No, she's a nautical badass. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? She will shit talk you. She certainly will. She she will get in her beach grandma chic. Yes. Coastal grandmother. Coastal grandmother chic. (laughs) And chase your ass down. Doesn't matter if you're her boyfriend. She Mm -mm. won't believe you. Mm -mm. She's determined. I mean, she'll chase down people from the yearbook. She'll interrogate your dead sister. Like, there's a lot of things that she's willing to do. She doesn't really care about social etiquette. She'll just ask you what she wants to know. But Marin will bite your fucking finger off. Yeah, she'll fucking murder you and eat you. She'll murder you and eat you. (laughs) (laughs) She will. But, okay, so here's my argument with Marin, though. She was not the muscle of that operation. No. She killed her babysitter when she was three, and she bit her friend's finger off at the sleepover. But then anytime she ate after that was because of Lee, no? Or Sully. I'm trying to think back to when she temporarily breaks up with Lee and she's on her own, but I don't remember. We don't even see what happens in that time jump. No, I don't think so. So you're right. She really does end up relying on other people. But is that smart in the way where she's able to align herself with a way where she does not get blood on her hands? But does that help her in a street fight? I don't know. I think she's smart. I know last year we also talked about manipulation as a skill that you could bring to a street fight. Mm -hmm. You could make somebody think you were surrendering and then when you go to shake hands, just bite their jugular. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, she could still use that cunning and intelligence in a fight. 
if they're in a street fight and they're fighting like hand to hand, Marin is also going to have her mouth as a weapon. Not that Julie wouldn't. She could still bite Marin. <laughs> she could. <laughs> she could. But all Marin would have to do is like, I have information on the fisherman. And Julie would be like, what? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I feel like she's really easily sidetracked. Like she has a one track mind. Yeah. And we don't really see Julie get that physical. It's mostly Pretty Prince Jr. doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Ooh, this is really good. This is really interesting. Yeah. So both of these women, it does seem like that they're scrappy and they'll do what they need to do to survive, but they prefer to take a back seat. They really do. They both do. Which I respect. I respect it very much. What's your gut say? My gut says Marin. Okay. Because she's is a cannibal. <laughs> I think that's a good reason. I think that's a good a good and reason Julie as any. Isn't. But just because Marin's a cannibal, I don't want to judge her. <laughs> I feel as though in this situation, Julie is easily deceived. And that is Marin's strategy, disarming people. I think she's able to do that. I mean, she's like 17, 18. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think Julie's going to come at her guns blazing. Mm-hmm. To me, it's like the cannibal edge. I think so. I just she's more feel vicious. like when it seems like they're matched in every other way, mm-hmm. it's that edge that's, I think, going to put it over for me. Yeah. All right, Marin, uh-huh. Bones, etc. Do you like the way I wrote I it? Loved, <laughs> I loved I was cracking up at that. Yeah, at all. Okay, excellent. Okay, when we return to this bracket, it'll be Nancy against Marin. Next up, we have mommy slash daddy problems. (laughs) Okay. Lots of parental themes here. Okay. So first, we have Scarlet from As Above, So Below, our spelunking national treasure hunting goddess, up against Angela from Malevolent. I look at this as the most willing participant and the most unwilling participant because Scarlet- Oh, she's gonna- Yeah. Scarlet is in it. She's like, <laughs> give me Flamel's stone. Like, she's driving the whole thing forward where Angela's like, brother, like, I don't want to hunt ghosts anymore. Right. And don't forget that Scarlet climbed up a rope just with her arms. She ran through multiple layers of hell. Yeah, she physically exerted herself. I will say, though, Angela almost got her mouth sewn shut. Or she did get her mouth sewn shut. Oh, yeah, partial. Partial. Partial sew. (laughs) And she... (laughs) That's a lot. Whereas everything that Scarlet went through was more, like, emotional. But Scarlet is just unwavering in her pursuits, you know? Yeah, for me, it has to be Scarlet. Scarlet it is. Our Virgo queen. Our Virgo queen. Excellent. All right, Scarlet. See you again. Next, we have B from Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I like to try to say bodies, bodies, bodies as fast as I can. <laughs> bodies, bodies, bodies. Body, body, body. <laughs> Up against Maxine from X. This is tough because they're both tough as hell. They will pick up weapons when they have to. They will speak up when they have to. They're confident. Well, B is kind of a little bit shy at first, but I think that makes sense. Whereas we always get to see Maxine in her prime until she starts being chased. (laughs) But B, you know, we see her feeling a little bit unconfident, but then, you know, she kills somebody with a kettlebell when she feels like she has to. (laughs) So I don't know. That's my thing is I'm looking at who we've had to see B and Maxine oppose. Because if you look at the threat in X, it's two geriatric old people. That's a really good point, but she does it so well and without flinching. And again, that's not me trying to minimize the threat of Pearl and her husband. Right. No, I didn't feel that at 
all. But like at the end, Maxine is trying to get to the door and the only thing in her way is the husband who just had a fucking heart attack on the ground and then raggedy ass Pearl. In what situation was that going to be, especially knowing how tough Maxine is? But also let's think about B then. The first guy she kills doesn't even see her coming up with the kettlebell. So he's unsuspecting. And then she doesn't kill anybody else. The only guy she kills is somebody that doesn't suspect her. And then we see her like run away a couple times. We see her get kicked out a couple times. Her power is evading being killed. That's a good point. She is a runner. She's a runner. Where Maxine is a little more like, I will kill you. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it. I think that's it. I think B is really tough. I think that she's a worthy opponent for Maxine, but I think it's got to be Maxine. Of course. That was actually harder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I love that. I love when this happens. Up next, we have the don't underestimate me, bitch category full of women who are underestimated. (laughs) Very much so. This one I know is going to be really tricky. So first we have Sarah from The Craft up against Noah from Fresh. Now this is interesting because Sarah is witchy. She's besides mother, the only like supernatural. Maybe Maud too. Oh, Maud and Carrie who are coming up. But she's one of the only supernatural people. So I was worried about putting her here, but I didn't know really where else to put her. Especially because she's also characterized as such a teenager. She's characterized as a normal person. Right. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about age. You know, Sarah is like a junior in high school and Noah is like a mid-20s something, a little bit more polished, has been around the block a couple more times. Noah has to be a lot more deceiving than Sarah has to. Yeah. Sarah is bullied into her power, if that makes sense. Like she very much gets girl bossed out of her own friend group. But through her own powerful magic and her virtuousness and all that kind of stuff is able to beat Nancy and her crew down. While there is a magical component to that, we see Noah beating the shit out of Steve Mm -hmm. and able to use her friends that she's cultivated as her means of escape. Because you have Molly, Mm -hmm. who got kidnapped because of Noah, so sorry about that. But then you also (laughs) have the girl who's on the other side of the vent that she's been able to like build this bond with, even though they'd never seen each other because they were both in captivity. So it's almost like through the bonds that Sarah made you know, was her undoing and why she was even in danger in the first place. But then you have Noah who uses her power of friendship to escape a really abusive circumstance. So if I'm picturing these two fighting on the street, I'm imagining Noah coming out at full force, but also knowing that Sarah is going to have her powers with her. Mm -hmm. So what? Sarah's going to fling Noah back and Noah is going to have a bunch of cutlery and kitchen tools, like a meat tenderizer (laughs) and stuff like that. Yeah, and a pretty face. (laughs) It is a pretty face, but I don't think Sarah would be, like, charmed by Noah in the same way. I agree. I agree. And she's, like, a legitimate witch. Like, that's the thing. I would not want to go up against Noah. No, me either. Like, Noah works in a very specific circumstance of using her sexuality and using her manipulation tactics to make men think what she wants them to think. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to work on Sarah. I don't know. It has to be Sarah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm not mad at Sarah, but Noah. uh. I know. I I want her to be here forever. Yeah. (laughs) She's she's one of my favorite people that we met this year. This next one's going to be rough. (laughs) 
I did this kind of almost purposefully. So first we have Maddie from Hush, whom we know is deaf. But I put her with Cecilia from Invisible Man because she deals with somebody that she can't see. And Maddie deals with someone she can't hear. Mm -hmm. So I was hoping that this would be like fair fight, but also two badass women. They're both tough as shit. And so resourceful. I think two of the most resourceful, smart people that we've seen this year. Also, who often have the benefit of like knowing their own house or their own like terrain, which is interesting too. We see them kind of fighting on their own turf. Yeah, they're always navigating like their own spaces where an intruder might be. Yes. It's so weird because, you know, immediately we're characterized to think they're both weak in the beginning, but there's something about Cecilia that comes across so much more fragile than Maddie is. I agree. But because of that hardened resolve... I mean, we see Cecilia like toughen the fuck up at the end because of all of this trauma and she is like fucking ruthless. She slits Adrian's throat. But then Maggie, I mean, she's like a second from dying before she's able to kill the man with the wine corkscrew. And they both have that moment at the end where Maddie is like waiting outside with the cat, very ready or not style, sitting, waiting for the police. And Cecilia is walking out of Adrian's house and leaving the evidence behind and all that kind of stuff. They're so evenly matched. I don't know. It's so hard. (laughs) I think you're right. Like, I think Cecilia, we do see her in the beginning in such a damaged place. She's dealing with this abusive relationship that she's just gotten out of. We see her use her intelligence and her physical strength. I I guess you're right. We also see Maddie do that as well. If I'm picturing them on a street, okay, let me just take myself to a street. (laughs) Let me picture Cecilia and Maddie there. Let me picture them fighting. I feel like it has to be, mm, it's so hard. I can find a way to justify both of them. Well, I was just going to say Cecilia because there's something about her transition at the end that feels a little bit more sinister, not in a bad way, but in like a, she has found power in her decision for revenge. But then I just remembered it's the same thing with Maddie. There is something at the end that smiles to herself. She has found that same power and that physical revenge that she gets on this man. And I always think of that voiceover with Maddie where she's going through all of the scenarios in yes. her head. Like she's thinking every option through. She's doing X, Y, and Z where I feel like for a lot of the movie, Cecilia is reacting. But at the end, she really does that plan so well. We just don't get to hear her think through the plan. You're so right. We just see it happen instead of hearing her thoughts. Fuck! Oh, no. <laughs> what the... <laughs> if they are fighting on a street, <laughs> I'm literally like, close your eyes. <laughs> I know, like, I'm trying to envision Maddie with the smoke detector and, like, deafening Cecilia and all that kind of stuff. I'm trying to think of in the moments we do see hand-to-hand combat with both Cecilia and Maddie. I feel as though Maddie does a lot more evading than she does fighting. Yeah, it is very much survival until she realizes that she can't. What does Cecilia do? She just slits his... She... When does she have hand-to-hand combat? Yeah, they fight in the kitchen the one time. Oh my god, in the kitchen, yeah. Where, yeah, where she throws the paint on him in the attic and then they fight in the kitchen. It's like a whole brutal scene in that way. And then at the end, she goes to the bathroom, puts on the suit and makes him slit his own throat from behind. Maddie can't hear Cecilia. 
But then she has that like breath thing in the bathroom, remember, when the man comes up behind her and she's able to sense him. But you're yeah. right, like Cecilia's trick is not being able to be seen. So if she can't hear her or see her, uh-huh. if she's using the suit, maybe, and we've seen her use the suit as a weapon. True. Then we might have to give it to Cecilia <gasps> oh, for that reason. I didn't even think about that. I was too busy thinking about Cecilia when she couldn't see. Right. But you're right. She does put on the suit and you can't see her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's okay. It, it has to, Cecilia. to be Cecilia. Yeah. yeah. That was I, hard. Honestly, if it wasn't for you remembering that, I think we would have sat here for another 15 minutes. I know. We would have. I didn't even think of that. Okay. All right. That was a really good fight. This has brought me to life. Okay. So that concludes that riveting round. So now we're going to move to our final category titled, in honor of Taylor Swift, Always Rooting for the Antihero. So you've actually heard the names of our first lineup. We have Maud from St. Maud paired with Carrie from Carrie. So we have two very soft-spoken women of God <laughs> squaring off. I would say if we're trying to articulate their powers, Maud's is delusion and Carrie's is telekinesis. <laughs> okay. Wait, I, wait, okay. It's giving Maud isn't going to really know truly what's going on. She and, won't. And Carrie's just going to use her telekinesis. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, wait, maybe this was easier than I thought it was going to be. Okay, listen. <laughs> well... I mean, Maude does have those scissors, right? Where she does kill Amanda at the end very viciously. Stabs the shit out of her, remember? She does. And I'm also thinking too, like, would Carrie like Maude? Because Carrie only gets violent and aggressive when she's bullied or feels betrayed. Mm -hmm. And Maude might have enough in common with her. She's a nurse. You know, she's a really kind, welcoming person when she's not stabbing you. You're right, yeah. So maybe like... She just wouldn't evoke that same energy, that angry energy from Carrie that we see at the end of the film. I don't know. I feel like these two would be BFFs, and that makes me sad to make them want to fight. Yeah, now that I see them together like this, I feel like that they're sisters. (laughs) (laughs) Sisters in God. I mean, Carrie causes fires. Yeah, she she has telekinesis. She's got telekinesis. She can float. She's flipping (laughs) cars. And Maude... Kills a woman in end-of-life hospice care. Yeah. But Carrie also has a long fuse. She does. I mean, that's the thing. I am assuming that if they are in a street fight, Carrie knows she's fighting. Yeah. It's not as if you need to unleash something for her or it has to be... Like, if you're putting, like, a werewolf in a cage fight, you have to assume it's a full moon. You know what I mean? Right, right. So I'm assuming assuming we have tricked out Carrie. To her full potential. Her mom just yelled at her and locked her in the prayer closet, and she's fired up and ready to go. Carrie wouldn't even want to win. She would be upset that she killed somebody, but yeah. she would kill Maud. But she would kill Maud. All right. Because Maud sets herself on fucking fire, too. Yeah. She wouldn't know what's real. Yeah. Okay. All right. So it's got to be Carrie, our anti hero baby. And finally, concluding our first round, we have Justine from Raw and Angela from Sleepaway Camp. So we got another cannibal in our midst. Mm-hmm. And then we have a murdering summer camp participant. <laughs> That's correct. We've established that with Marin earlier. Justine's going to use her teeth. Yes. Angela decapitated Paul. That's true. But we've only seen her be really successful when it comes to coming upon unsuspecting victims. That's true. She killed the guy in the canoe. I mean, I don't know. She killed Julie viciously Uh, with the curling iron. mm -hmm. 
I mean, she killed that group of kids oh, yeah, for throwing sand at her. She shot Mel through the neck with the arrow. But all of them were unsuspecting. Like, how would she do against Justine, who's, like, ready for her blows? Like, would Angela come with all of the weapons that she's used? What has she used? That's a, I don't even know how she decapitated Paul. Yeah, how? It just happened. I don't know either. It's like a mystery. Justine is also scrappy as fuck, and she's really confident in her newfound cannibal sexuality. She will get into a public biting fight with her sister. Yeah. Where they bit each other's forearms and shit. Yeah, we saw her get a bite out of her sister. So I don't know. Justine's also a little older than Angela, even though she also looks like she's 12 years old. I was about to say, because Justine's a tiny person. She's supposed to be like 18. She's a freshman in college. Angela's 13. Yeah. So, I mean, there's age. Angela's operating from a place of deep trauma. Yeah, but to me, what does it is, even though Angela is a killing machine, she has to rely on the fact or the method of surprise. Mm-hmm. And so picturing her up against somebody who's older than her in a literal fight, like where the other person knows that they should be defending themselves. Right. I just don't know if she would be as successful. I know. <laughs> I know. I just see Justine as this horny and disoriented, almost, I said earlier, werewolf, like a werewolf character where she just kind of blacks out and things happen. Mm -hmm. Like, it isn't until that fight with Alexia where I feel as though she has any control over what she's doing. Because she fully thought that she ate the roommate's leg. Right. For a while, right? Like, I don't see her as somebody who's in control of herself. Because even when she ate Alexia's finger, or when she got drunk at the party and was barking like a dog and trying to bite the dead man's leg while she was being filmed, like, she has no self-awareness. Granted, there could be, like, a lot of power to that feralness, where it just feels like Angela's calculated where she gets bullied and that person dies. But in a street I know, I know. I'm just... mm. I know. I just, I don't think I like Justine very much, but that's not to say that she can't win the fight. Yeah, I understand. I mean, I like Angela a lot. Yeah. I think I just don't want to see Angela lose. That's how I felt, honestly, about Noah. Yeah. I was, like, really upset. Yeah. But at the same time, it's a silly little thing. (laughs) It's a silly little thing we're doing. It is a silly little thing. So we might have a meetup of the cannibals later down the line, then. We might. That's another thing, too, about these categories. There were, like, four categories, and everybody fit into four categories, but I had to make it be six. So I was thinking about Marin, and I was like, should she be in the anti-hero category? It felt like for every category, there were five people that made sense, but I can only have four. And so I was like, well, what am I going to do about this? So I did the best I could. Well, to give a preview, we're going to have a head scratch and headache. Or it might even be easier, <laughs> being that in the villains category, there is a cannibal club. All of their powers are the same. <laughs> Excellent. That might make things a lot easier. It might. It, I think it might. Okay, so we are going to loop back around to the Conventional Mothers finalists, Annie from Hereditary against Amelia from The Babadook. Two possessed baddies. That's correct. They are possessed and they are feral. And they are worthy opponents. I really think so. I mean, you could look realistically at it where Amelia comes out the other side and Annie does not. Amelia is able to vanquish the Babadook and continue to live with the Babadook in the basement, you know, is able to relegate her grief in a way where she still feeds it and she's still affected by it, but she can overcome it and move past it. Where Annie, very much due to how Payman acts as a demon, is broken down to such a degree. She, you know, obviously loses Charlie. She watches her husband get fucking caught on fire. Her mom dies. Like, she's brought down to such a point of vulnerability where she loses herself completely and chops her head off. 
Yeah, there's just part of me that feels like if Annie and Amelia were to face off, I think Amelia would be able to do it and keep her head. (laughs) 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 That was mean. I didn't mean it like that, but it came out like that. And it's true, though. Whereas I, I don't know if Annie would be able to keep her cool. I don't know if she'd get lost in the sauce and start flailing. I don't know. I feel like Amelia might be the one. Yeah, Annie can win the award for best monologue. Oh, she'll fling her words at you. She'll, don't you swear at me, you little shit, (laughs) till the day she's gone. (laughs) Which will be soon. (laughs) Amelia is the winner of the conventional mother's division. All right, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Okay, great. I'm thinking back to me sobbing watching this movie. Oh, yeah. It's all coming back. Oh, yeah. This movie was a good one. It was. All right, moving on to non-conventional mothers. <laughs> we have Gemma versus Helen. Okay, now can Helen use Candyman and can Gemma use Megan? <laughs> That's a really good point. Because they're both can be summoned by them. You know what I mean? Right. So, I mean, that could be jumping ahead to Villain's March Madness because that is a fight that could happen. Mm, like, I don't mind a little bit of overlap. <laughs> exactly, because that's a fight that could happen. This has me thinking, are we doing Mirror Helen, who popped out of the mirror and sliced up her ex-husband? I mean, we used Annie in her final form, right? Like, possessed final form. So I would think it's fair to have Mirror Helen as her final form. Oh, if we have Mirror Helen as her final form. Yeah, she would wipe the floor with Gemma. Yeah, but Gemma has robots. Yeah, but Candyman is supernatural. Yeah, but Candyman, even though his hook and his biceps are really strong, doesn't mean he can slice a robot like he slices human flesh. But we're fighting Gemma. So I guess it's like, oh. you know what I mean? It's yeah, not but like- if Gemma has her robots to defend her. Right, of and course. if Helen has Candyman to defend her. Or or if or Helen's her just form. in her, and her supernatural form is a robot gonna just kind of go swoosh through her. You know what I mean? Like- but isn't she like real- are we, she's a ghost she, now. She's a ghost, so she's a ghost. We can say she's a ghost. Oh, well, then that is really tricky. I mean, again, we have to assume that if they're in a fight that Jebba has, like, conjured Helen, because I'm like, what if she just doesn't conjure her? Well, but if she has to show up to the fight, mm-hmm. we're assuming that she's got this hook that she's going to gut Gemma with, <laughs> and Gemma can, like, try to get the Bruce gloves out and mm-hmm. everything like that. But if we're talking just Gemma in her own element... <laughs> Even when she's fighting Megan, you know, like she uses the chainsaw. Like, again, that's not to say that she wouldn't put up a fight. Like she has wherewithal. Well, I feel like the only way to do this fairly is to say Gemma and her robots against Helen in her final form or Gemma alone versus Helen before she's a ghost. Okay. Okay. I feel like it has to be either all or nothing. It changes the answer because I think Helen on her own, like Helen pre-ghost, you don't see her fight that much. Yeah. Where you reduce see Gemma fight? I feel like Gemma would like slap Helen across the face and it would be done. Like, even though Helen is like scrappy and mm-hmm. she'd be like flap, like, I don't think she'd last long. But you're right. I think her and her final form changes things, even with Gemma's robots. I mean, both of them have problems they brought upon themselves. Helen said Candyman five times mm-hmm. and Gemma made the robots. But mm-hmm. I do think Gemma is better at undoing her wrongs mm. than Helen is because Helen, she dies. This is my thinking, and it's really hard to say. But we know that even though the Candyman and Helen are ghostly, that they still respond to, like, worldly weapons. Yeah. Because Helen stabs Candyman. Candyman. Yeah. 
And so I think if Gemma has at least Bruce <laughs> to defend herself, Bruce could just backhand Helen and it would be done. All right, it's Gemma. Okay. Even though I don't even really like Gemma that much. Is she going to be this dark horse just because she has Bruce? Like, she better not be. Well, <laughs> fuck. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Because up next, we're going to have Amelia from Babadook versus Gemma from Megan. All right, well, let's go over to Smells Like Teen Spirit, where we will have Nancy from Nightmare versus Marin from Bones, etc. All right. Now, we can operate off of the rules that we operated off last time, where we have covered Nancy as a graduate student, because we covered Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. We have. So we have an older and wiser Nancy. Mm-hmm. Where we have still have Marin, who's a kid. We have Nancy, who jumps between dimensions, mm-hmm. fighting dream demons. Mm-hmm. And while I still wouldn't want to be locked in a room with Marin, Nancy is known for working with mentally ill teenagers. Mm. She'd probably just be like, hey, Marin, come here. I'm going to put you in this room. Come here. Let me just talk to you and treat you <laughs> like a human. Exactly. Just heal her trauma. They wouldn't even fight. She Marin would, be, she would just, become a maternal figure. She'd become yeah, mommy. Yeah, she'd become a mommy. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm here for it. I think that's it. I think that's it. Because Nancy would just be like, I'm not even going to fight you, girl. I'm just going to talk to you. Nancy <laughs> Nancy kind of just has the power to like institutionalize Marin in the way that her mom is institutionalized. Yeah. Like, she has the power to put her away. But in like a productive way. Yeah. Okay, it's Nancy. All right, I'm Nancy. Okay. <laughs> I love that so much. Next, we have Mommy and Daddy Problems. We have Scarlet from As Above, So Below versus Maxine from X. They're so different. We have 18 degrees Scarlet going in the catacombs <laughs> for the truth of a magical rock. And then the adult film star, Maxine. They're both so confident. They are. They're both so good at what they do. And they both have such strong will and driving aspirations. I don't see Scarlet as a fighter. I don't. I feel like even though we see Maxine fight older people, I feel like she would just annihilate her. I think so. I think Scarlet would intellectualize the fight too much. Yeah. Like she would be like, well, because of Copernicus is this law, I should be able to hit you in this joint. And then no, no. <laughs> shut up. Go back to Turkish jail. Bye, Scarlet. Yeah. I just think Maxine is, I don't know, ruthless. She's too tough. Yeah. And I honestly feel like when we watch Maxine three X's, I think it's going to confirm that answer. She's too tough. I agree with you. Okay, excellent news. She is tough. And she's not going to let anything stand in the way of her dream. Because you know why? Because she wants fucking money. (laughs) I thought you were about to say she's a star. No. I was about to say that's Pearl. That's for next week. (laughs) So that means we're going to see Nancy versus Maxine. Up next, we have from Don't Underestimate Me, Bitch, Sarah from The Craft versus Cecilia from Invisible Man. I kind of love this. Yeah. Because now that you've unlocked Cecilia with the invisible suit, I think that really disarms a lot of what Sarah could do as a witch. It's like science versus magic. It is science versus magic. You're right. Yeah. I mean, I think Cecilia has more life experience than Sarah does. I feel like she would be able to disarm Sarah in a way because Sarah's fighting other teenagers for the majority of the time. And Cecilia is like a certified genius. She is a certified genius. She needs to outsmart a super genius, and she did. She can outsmart a 17-year-old who does a hex every now and then. Yeah. Cecilia! Yeah, plus she could just put on her suit and Sarah won't be able to see her. Yeah, I think that's pretty powerful stuff. Great, Cece girl. Here she is. Last in this round, we have Carrie versus Justine. Again, Carrie has telekinesis, and Justine just likes to bite people. 
Yeah, I mean, if Justine can't even get close to Carrie to bite her, I think it's got to be Carrie. Yeah, she would just fucking, like, pin her up into the wall <laughs> yeah. with the knives or anything like that, or just, like, set her on fire or something like that. This is what makes Carrie dangerous, is that she does not require a close-range weapon. She can just fling shit at people. Right, but the other thing is, too, with Carrie, and we've been talking about this, too, she's young and she's impressionable. Mm -hmm. And she kind of reminds me of Marin in a sense where her violence really comes from a place of being bullied and being mistreated. And so I feel like there are things that people could do to get to her or maybe to disarm her or win in this fight. But with Justine, Justine is also young and she's a mess and she's not going to get through to Carrie. No, she's not. (laughs) She's not going to intellectualize with Carrie. No, she is not. (laughs) Also, this is just so funny. Justine goes to vet school. She's got an unlimited supply of pig's blood. Oh, it's triggering. It is triggering. <laughs> it would trigger her. All right. So I think Carrie is our winner for this one. I round. absolutely wow, think so. Wow. And she's the ultimate anti-hero. Well, oh, Angela from Sleepaway Camp too. <sighs> rip. Rip, rip, rip. So now we have a little special situation here. We had six original brackets, which means right now we have six representatives remaining from each bracket. And in order to have two people face off in the final round... We need to have a three-way brawl. We do. (laughs) (laughs) And if this doesn't follow March Madness protocol, go fuck yourself. Yeah, we We don't give give a fuck. If you didn't know, we're not actually doing sports. We're not. (laughs) We're not. We're talking into a microphone. (laughs) (laughs) So that means, oop, we are going to have Amelia versus Gemma versus Cecilia. In this corner. They're all kind of like motherly. Amelia is a biological mother. Gemma, she's an adopted mother. And Cecilia was pregnant. Yeah. Got some mental illness on this side of the bracket, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. We We do. do. Like, so for that reason, part of me is like, Gemma has the most head on her shoulders because Mm. the other two are traumatized. Yeah, but Cecilia has an invisibility suit. And Amelia's got freaking Babadook power. True. She knows how to, like, cope. (laughs) (laughs) She knows how to cope, but she also is, like, flying and coming down chimneys and banging herself through doors. It's, like, super scary. Mm -hmm. But then you got Gemma with a robot. And then you got Cecilia just with her pure survival instincts and invisibility. But that's the thing. When you think of Cecilia in the invisibility suit, it's still Cecilia in an invisibility suit. Okay, that's a good point. It's, like, she does not become superhuman in the invisibility suit. So part of me thinks, like, yeah, she might be able to get somebody from behind one time. But if Amelia's in feral mode, mm-hmm. then I don't see her lasting very long. Maybe she could take out Gemma. I don't see her taking Amelia down. I don't, I don't know. What do you think? Wait, who taking Gemma down? I said maybe Cecilia could take Gemma down, but I don't see her taking Amelia and Babadook's strength down. You know what I mean? I could see her taking Amelia and Babadook's strength down. Oh, okay. Because Amelia with Babadook's strength, she's erratic. I think Cecilia is smart enough to know how to use her invisibility. She did it once really well with the person who invented the suit, which I think speaks to her knowledge. Do we think that two of them would gang up on one of them? (laughs) I really like this angle. I'm just trying to think if you're actually- Cecilia and Gemma, they're the scientists. You're right. Yeah. And they would dispatch Amelia Mm -hmm. and then those two would be going off and then it would be invisibility versus robots. Yeah. My God. That's really hard. Well, keep in mind, it's still Cecilia versus Gemma. So if Cecilia could get to Gemma without the robots getting in the way, Mm -hmm. she could still win. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, Gemma's stabbed people with tools before. She's used a fucking chainsaw. Like, we've seen her have fighting prowess. Even when Megan was choking her out, she found a way to, like, stop a robot from choking her out. But it's the robot she made. Right. She knows its weaknesses and everything like that. Mm -hmm. But part of me thinks that Gemma's smart enough to, like, make the suit do the glitch thing. Oh. Remember, like, when Cecilia is leaving the hospital and she finds a way to fuck with Adrian's suit when she, like, fake tries to kill herself in her Mm -hmm. cell, and then everyone can see Adrian glitching in and out? Like, part of me thinks Gemma's smart enough to find a way to fuck with the suit. Not if they're fighting. Like, how long do they have to prepare for this fight? Like, No, no, no. Not, like, sabotage the suit. But, like, in the fight, the suit might glitch, and now she's not invisible all the time. You know what I mean? Because that's what happens to Adrian. Yeah. She, like, stabs him or whacks him or something. Exactly. So if she stabs or whacks whatever, and then all of a sudden she's not invisible anymore, it's then, again, Cecilia and Gemma again. One has an invisibility suit and some brains. The other has some robots and some brains. Obviously, there's the danger that Cecilia's suit could get damaged. There's also the danger that Cecilia could get to Gemma's robots first in her suit and do some damage. Because remember, Bruce is the weapon we've given her, and Gemma controls Bruce. So it's not like Gemma's going to feel hands on Bruce. So if she doesn't, maybe Cecilia could do something to Bruce and disarm him before she's noticed. As far as intelligence goes, Gemma, I think, is smarter. But if this is like a physical altercation, I don't know if that's going to matter as much. I say Cecilia. I also say Cecilia. Yeah. Because I don't think Gemma is anything without her robots. She's gotten herself this far. Yes. But but I think Cecilia is just the right flavor of unhinged. Yeah, I think so too. I'm okay with this. I think this is good. I think this was a good fight. And that takes Cecilia into our semifinals. Wow. yeah. Which honestly, I'm okay with this because I really liked Invisible Man and I felt so many wonderful things about Cecilia and it's really nice seeing her get so far. Okay, so now this next level is going to be really difficult. I think so. Because none of these women have anything in common. No, they really don't. (laughs) We have Nancy versus Maxine versus Carrie. (laughs) This is actually a really interesting dynamic because Mm -hmm. you asked the previous question, would two of these people gang up against another person? Yeah. Okay, so here's my thing. If two people ganged up against Carrie, I think she could be taken care of. However, I was thinking Nancy might try to gang up with Carrie. To get Maxine out? Yeah. But Nancy would need time to get Carrie on her side, and Maxine wouldn't give them that time. The thing is, I think Maxine would bully Carrie. In no world do I see Maxine and Carrie butting up, because Maxine's totally the type of girl that would bully Carrie in the locker room. (laughs) And I think Carrie might get triggered by that. I think she definitely would. I don't see Nancy and Maxine having a lot in common. I could see them for the sake of, like, Carrie's fucking supernatural. But Nancy has a supernatural element kind of to her in the fact that she's pulling shit out of dreams and all that kind of stuff. She has the gift of love. She does. Nancy and Maxine have a similar level of grit. Mm-hmm. So part of me thinks that Nancy would see Maxine as a danger for that reason. I feel like the most natural alliance is Nancy and Carrie. Carrie, I think, would respond so positively to Nancy. Yeah. And Nancy would see the benefit of having Carrie on her side. And you're right. I think Nancy would see Maxine as a threat and Carrie would hate Maxine. (laughs) Exactly. Maxine, (laughs) while her aggressiveness has gotten her this far, she does not make allies very well. She does not make friends very well. Even I think of the way that she talks to Lorraine in X. Like, she doesn't respect demure, prudish girls. No. So she would trigger the fuck out of Carrie. 
maybe Nancy wouldn't even have to do anything. She would just like sit back and be like, yeah. Carrie, I like your dress. And then <laughs> you would fucking annihilate her. And then that would leave Nancy and Carrie. Right. Which if we use the same logic that we use with Marin, Nancy might be able to disarm Carrie by actually giving her time and attention and love. And if Carrie isn't a natural fighter, if she only fights really hard when she's triggered, because we know how long she holds out for her mother. We know how hard she tries with her mother. She is just not a fighter. But Nancy is. Yeah. (laughs) No, I agree. And I even think that even with the telekinesis, she might find a way to like jump into a dream and make something happen or... True. I don't know, like borrow some dream master powers or something like that. But you're right. I do think Carrie would be like, why are we fighting? Like, yeah, literally. I just don't see Carrie being able to maintain any level of anger or frustration at Nancy. I just don't think she could. Yeah. I mean, because that's the thing. It's hard because we've said it's a fight. They come to a fight knowing that they're fighting. But also at the same time, we've established that part of Nancy's arsenal is that maternal aspect. And disarming that aggression. Exactly. Think about all the kids that she meets in that hospital, each one of them ready to hate her. She's new girl. And she disarms each one of them. I mean, Carrie might come angry, but if all of that anger is expelled on Maxine... I mean, who knows? Maybe Nancy could win this three-way because Maxine is her shield. (laughs) Yeah, I think she would, like, go to give Carrie a hug and then, like, stab her in the back or something like that. Yeah, I think she would do what needed to be done. All right, Nancy! Oh, my gosh! Which makes me happy. Okay, this is really exciting because our finalists, Cecilia versus Nancy. So we have two somewhat weathered women that have been haunted by a man (laughs) in some capacity. (laughs) Yes. Now, to me, Nancy is somebody who I see Cecilia being in a couple years, which is weird. Because Nancy has used her strife, turned it into a career, and her entire thing is not wanting to leave more traumatized kids behind. Mm Mm-hmm. She is determined and she is vicious. She's willing to fight. I even believe she dies for Kristen at the end, where Cecilia is still in a very volatile place where, I mean, again, it's difficult, right? Because she has this invisibility suit, which I'm kind of kicking myself for giving her this power early early (laughs) on. But I mean, it is valid because she does use it as a weapon. And if we're thinking about all the things that the characters use as weapons, getting to be used in March Madness is only fair. Now, remind me in the first one, does Nancy just turn her back on Freddy and then he loses his power and melts into the bed? Like, she doesn't kill him, right? She's like, I revoke any power I gave you or whatever. And then he just kind of like falls through her and dies in the bed. He's not the one that melts in the bed. Are you the mom about is the one that melts in the yeah, bed. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. the skeleton in the bed, yeah. which I hate. I know. <laughs> That's like so much. I hate it. She does disarm Freddy by denying his power. But she can't deny the power of science. No. I look at it as Nancy didn't beat Freddy at the end. No. She didn't. Also, we saw her face Marin and Carrie, who were both young girls who went through a lot of trauma and perhaps could have benefited from a maternal figure that they had been previously betrayed by. Right. Which Nancy is so maternal. But I don't think Cecilia would respond to that same energy because her issue is with her man. (laughs) And she takes that power back for herself. She does. And she's unhinged. She's willing to go to jail. Like she, She's in an invisibility suit. She's in an invisibility suit. Do we have our winner? I think we have our winner! Oh my god. 
Our winner for March Madness Final Girl 2023 is Cecilia from Invisible Man. No, I think she's a worthy adversary. I think, you know, if we're thinking year to year, I don't know that she would beat Sydney Prescott. Sydney is- Scream 5. I think they just live in different universes. I think so. She is a full package deal in a lot of ways. Yeah. She's really intelligent. She goes through an emotional journey and she also has the power of science on her side with this invisibility suit. Mm-hmm. So she has good weapons, a good head on her shoulder, and she also has grit from her own experiences. I mean, it just feels like, to me, a really solid cocktail <laughs> of of reasons why I think I'm okay with this win and I will be able to sleep tonight. Yes. <laughs> so that is our final girls winner. And next week, we will be diving into the villains. I am scared and excited. That is going to be so much fun. If you would like to keep up with us on our journey, there will be things posted on the Instagram feed getting you hyped up for the villain matchup. Please follow us on Instagram at the Horrors Podcast. And also feel free to email us at the Horrors Podcast at gmail.com with any suggestions. We're always looking for movie suggestions or whatever else your heart desires. And until next time, we're the Horrors. Bye. Bye. Bye.